Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is Corbin Barthold. Corbin is the Internet Policy Council and Director of Appellate Litigation for Tech Freedom. He's written for City Journal, both long articles for um, uh, forthcoming issues and, and uh, some shorter reactions to the web, uh, the most recent of which is on Elon Musk's uh, Twitter takeover, which everybody's talking about. And that's going to be the subject of today's episode. So Corbin, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to be here. Uh, so let's indeed start with the news that's uh, sent a, a shudder through not only the tech world, but also the political and media spheres. Um, last night, uh, or I should say Monday night, Twitter approved Elon Musk's bid for control of Twitter, which he will purchase at $54.20 a share. So that's considerably above its current market price. And uh, it's true that Twitter's business model has struggled for years to match you know, what is an extraordinarily large cultural footprint, I think, I think we'd have to say. So this combined with Musk's not-so-subtle declarations of his intent to bring free speech back to Twitter has led many to suggest that he has motives beyond simply making money. So let's talk this through. How did the deal come together over the last week? And did Twitter's shareholders and board work to stop the takeover? That's certainly what it looked like. Or was the whole poison pill idea that they set forth just kind of standard corporate maneuvering? And, you know, what's your take on Elon Musk's intentions here? Sure, sure. Um, Well, starting with how things look with the deal now that the dust has settled a bit, um, I am inclined to think that the, the real stopping point or the source of the poison pill was um, a, a skepticism about whether Elon Musk was actually going to pull together funding for the deal, whether this was um, another yank of the chain. You know, we all recall when he said that he was going to take Tesla private and then that didn't happen. Um, and once he actually started to put money on the table and show that he was serious, um, it's clear that the Twitter board started to take him serious in return. Um, and once uh, the deal started to, to coalesce and it looked like Musk was serious, I think the flaws in Twitter and its management and its product that have been very um, apparent over the years certainly attracted the attention, say, of Elliott Management, brought them in as an activist investor to try to to buck up the share price. Those started to come to the fore, and I think Twitter had to take those seriously. Uh, I believe that Goldman Sachs gave them a report telling them that it was a good deal, that the price was good, that Twitter was going to struggle to meet that price uh, on its own um, terms, trying to implement the improvements that Elliott Management had had pushed them to implement. Um, and here we are. It is fascinating to me, though, because I am not an investment banker. I don't work for Morgan Stanley, but I, I wonder about the conversation where some, I don't know, mid-level Morgan Stanley banker is talking to his boss saying, uh, yeah, you know, I'm proposing we loan out billions of dollars to uh, Mr. Musk. And the boss says, 
okay, well, what has Mr. Musk said? Well, Mr. Musk says he's not worried about money. He's not worried about making money. Uh, that's not his priority for this deal. Um, and yet they they got on board along with several other blue chip banks. Um, I'm Your guess as to how, what they see there is as good as mine. So, so this takeover, uh, if it indeed happens, it certainly looks like it will over the next few months. Um, and Musk's uh, forthright advocacy of free speech on the platform has occasioned a lot of panicked commentary from progressive commentators, politicians, Twitter employees, many of whom seem to have jettisoned any past verbal commitment that they'd ever made to free expression. So you, you could honestly fill up a book pretty quickly with examples of outright hypocrisy, though. So there's the MSNBC anchor who's worried that Twitter in the hands of Musk could tip the political scales in favor of certain candidates or causes via the algorithm. There was the journalist who compared the atmosphere on pre-Musk Twitter to Weimar Germany. Uh, so how has something as straightforward as the um, intention to widen the the range of permissible expression on Twitter come to be so incredibly controversial? You know, uh, the Twitter's content moderation apparatus, at least the scale uh, in which it has been operating, is a relatively new addition to the site. Uh, I mean, I think the simple, honest fact is that uh, our culture moves rapidly these days. And uh, the notion that Twitter was the free speech wing of the free speech party, uh, you know, oh, that was so five years ago. Um, and uh, as I said in the first article on this that I wrote for you, I, I think there is a degree on the left and, you know, the right has its own pathologies, but the, 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 they are very used to winning. They'll never admit that. That is totally against their identity. But they have an implicit assumption that in cultural battles over, you know, a long enough timeline, they will always get their way. Um, and, you know, there's some pretty decent bases for that. You know, they can celebrate the civil rights movement uh, going back to the 60s. But they have this time horizon, horizon that goes over the last 70 years or so where they think that there's an arc of history that just means wherever they're headed is where things are going. And when that's your attitude, you don't really need to hash things out and have debates and and arguments and assume that things are unsettled and you might be wrong and things might turn in a different direction. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen that lately in the in the sort of shift from open debate, including, you know, a lot of speech you don't like to uh, speech that you don't like harms you. And as I mentioned in one of the pieces, the, it starts from a decent place. I mean, anybody who's on Twitter long enough understands there's a lot of uh, harassment and misbehavior, and it's not always the most pleasant place in the world, which ties into their their struggles to get their market cap up and their user base up. Um, but my sense, at least in the last couple of years, is that we were really starting to shift from um, a genuine attempt to tamp down on uh, you know, real harassment, legitimate issues, and and tipping into this attempt to uh, play hall monitor, basically. Um, it, and I don't think it's nefarious either, but I think if you have certain priors and you come to the room and the only people in the room share your priors, of course you're going to say that, um, you know, misgendering is a terrible thing and should be dealt with, but then calling someone some, I don't know, uh, 
baselessly calling someone a white supremacist is not on the same level. You know, I'm just pulling that out of a hat, but there are dozens of different kinds of ways that you can slice that. Yeah, no, sure. Um, you know, Twitter's influence on American political life, cultural life has, from some perspectives, been unfortunate. You know, the, the medium inherently privileges brevity at the expense of thoughtfulness, and that seems to intensify anger. Um, I wonder, you know, if, if you could advocate a particular change to the user experience or business model of, of Twitter, um, one that would improve, ideally, the quality of the conversation on the site, what, you know, what would it be? Um, I think maybe the most promising idea is uh, playing around with subscription models. Um, there's really at its root more of a revenue raising motive behind that. I think, you know, a lot of, uh, take Musk himself, Musk, think about the amount of free advertising he in effect gets for Tesla by using Twitter and now consider, you know, all the brands that are on there doing that. And I, I think maybe the main motivation behind subscription is to start to maybe claw back some of that consumer surplus, but there's also the potential that, um, and we've seen this in other, in other areas, I think Substack, you see this, um, where people who've had to pay and put skin in the game, uh, engage in a healthier dialogue. Um, I think it may be just a small example of, you know, you will cut a person off in traffic cause you've got kind of the protective sense of your car. Um, and you probably are not going to cut someone in line right to their face at the post office. Um, and various kinds of measures that make the experience a little more, <laughs> a little more like the post office line, a little less like traffic. Um, I think that's the direction to go. Although having said that, I think the changes are going to be around the edges. Ultimately, I think we have a, a fracturing culture and we're, we're learning to grapple with new technologies. And, you know, I, I certainly would not claim that Twitter can suddenly make a polite, civil platform. What about the idea of using some kind of micropayment system for responses or, or fees of, of some respect? Wouldn't that cut down on, um, you know, certainly would cut down on the, the bots that uh, have plagued the system? Um, you know, I, I've seen this idea come up a few times in conversations about the direction Twitter might take. I suppose it could. Twitter's generally been pretty careful with rollouts. They they test these things. It's not like they've been entirely just sitting on their thumbs um, up until Elon Musk showed up. So I'd be interested to know if they have sort of spot tested that somewhere on the platform. It certainly has um, it certainly has potential. I mean it it is another form of friction. I mean the platforms in generally are learning to try and implement friction uh, in ways that get people to maybe think twice. I mean, one thing that before, you know, sending that snarky tweet, um, I was actually kind of surprised. Apparently they've had real success with just simple, passive aggressive little notices of, you know, people on Twitter don't generally send things that are this mean. Do you still want to send this? And um, I wouldn't have expected that to do much, but apparently it actually has tamped down a bit on um, some of the snarkiest material. Uh, you, you know, back in the 90s, um, the, the techno-utopians of that era wrote about the idea that information wants to be free. And they looked at the web in a kind of utopian way as this kind of world historical tool for decentralization, for 
the liberation of knowledge. Um, you know, you, you look at today's internet, I think it hasn't exactly developed that way. Larger sites have cannibalized smaller communities. Um, you know, much of our national conversation uh, is is now being set in terms of its boundaries by by very large private companies. So then, you know, what what is the next generation or evolution in the internet era going to look like? Uh, does Musk's bid represent a, a reversal uh, in this respect, or or a new stage, or does the future look I, I don't know like like TikTok? So murky speech standards, algorithmically uh, determined content, dumbed down, uh, primarily visual and owned by China. <laughs> well, that when you paint it that way, I mean, I am a uh, naive soul who actually happens to think that information still wants to be free. And if anything, um, uh, you know, I subscribe to uh, Martin Gurry's view that uh, the public is finding ways to speak and share ideas that kind of go beyond any ability of, of top town control to, to limit, you know, you mentioned that a few companies have a lot of control and I, that's true, but I get a lot of my news these days from Substack. Um, I can't say that there's anybody whose views I'm interested in on the internet that I cannot go and find them and figure out what they're thinking if I if I want to. Um, the question for the future, I suppose, is uh, the one that everybody wants to talk about. Are we going to continue to be in sort of a Web 2 world where the next competitors who succeed, like TikTok, are sort of the same centralized model but doing something differently? Um, or whether we are going to see greater decentralization. I mean, one of the weirdest things to me is that Elon Musk has not talked so much uh, through all of this about Blue Sky, which is Twitter's independent company that they're supporting that is trying to basically restore user control and um, set up a protocol so that there are competing algorithms for content moderation and competing algorithms for news feeds and people can choose... Uh, the ones that they like or that they trust. Um, I would like it if that would be the future. Unfortunately, Blue Sky has moved at a snail's pace, so we shall see. I have no crystal ball. Um, although I would say, you know, finally, also, everybody always says that culture is being dumbed down I mean, eternally. I mean, people said that the radio was going to break people's brains and make them into rubes. Um, people worried about television, you know, the kill your television bumper stickers that were on all the cars when I was a kid here in the Bay Area. So, um, you know, I am already old enough that when I look at uh, econ TikTok, which I'm not kidding is a thing, people doing like little mini econ lectures on TikTok, that doesn't really, it's not my bowl of soup, but um, I don't actually worry too much about the, you know, the kids are going to be dumb because they're, because they're on TikTok. Um, last question, you, you know, one of the forces that I think it's fair to say has pushed Twitter, um, seemingly anyway, to the, to the left over the years has been the um, views of its own employees. Uh, so that employee pressure, we're, we're seeing this not just with social media platforms, but, but with a lot of different companies. Um, you know, what what's that going to look like with Musk's takeover, I wonder? Uh, how would you handle uh, something like that where, where your employees, um, you know, really do 
have a different vision of the company than you do? I think that's really the the big question. That's the forty four billion dollar question here. Um, I, as I as I mentioned in my more recent piece for for CJ, I'm skeptical that the content moderation on Twitter is going to change in such a way that uh, either partisan side is suddenly really happy with how things go. I think. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the the quick shift on the left um, and their horror and their hypocrisy at this. Um, I don't think the right has been quite as bad in that regard. But, uh, you know, I will be interested to see if people maybe back away a bit from their claims that these platforms should basically just adhere to the First Amendment. I, I think we're going to continue to need content moderation for these products to be valuable or, or useful. And the question is going to be, is the platform trustworthy? I think that's really what Elon Musk should focus on. And the reality is that um, a lot of the conservative complaints about content moderation, I, I think it's actually, they tend to be a little bit weak on the merits, but get at a fundamental truth, which is it's fair and reasonable to be suspicious about the decisions, even if they're made honestly and in good faith, uh, made by a platform regarding free expression if everybody who runs that platform comes from a specific political party. I mean, I think the the donor breakdown for the midterms at Twitter right now is like 98% to Democrats or something like that. Um, and so if Twitter, you know, if Elon cannot change the sort of makeup of who's setting the content moderation standards at the higher level, obviously the people who make the individual decisions low down are, are you know, I'm talking about the rules that they are assigned to follow. Um, those people need a wide set of priors so that people have trust. And if that doesn't exist, there's really no way that he can get people to just like the individual decisions and be satisfied with them. Content moderation is just too contestable. And can he do that? I mean, is he going to face a revolt? Is he going to face a brain drain? Um, Coinbase shows an example of a company saying, you know, we're, we're purging politics from our company and seeming to make some progress with that. Um, other companies have had sort of notorious employee revolts. Uh, you know, the New York Times comes to mind of this constant roiling battle between the employees and, and the upper management. Um, I do not have an answer for you about how this is going to go, but I do think in my mind, um, setting up a perception that Twitter is not just, um, you know, Bay Area, you know, Silicon Valley progressive setting the rules. That's going to be Musk's big challenge. Very, very interesting. Well, well, thanks very much, Corbin. Um, don't forget to check out Corbin Barthold's work on the City Journal website. He's been writing for us on these issues now. Has a, a couple of big pieces on the horizon, uh, which will appear in the physical journal. Uh, we'll link to his author page in the description. You can also find City Journal on Twitter at City Journal and on Instagram, at CityJournal underscore MI. And as uh, usual, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please give us a nice ratings on iTunes. Corbin, thanks very much for coming on. Brian, it was an honor. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.